welcome back to 10 and 20, official podcast of the Battle of Franklin Trust. My name's Brad. In recent months, the Battle of Franklin Trust has taken over the management of a third historic home called Ripa Villa in Spring Hill, Tennessee. With me this week is historian and CEO of the Battle of Franklin Trust, Eric Jacobson, and we're going to talk about the site in general, as well as the BOFT's involvement in it. So, Eric, if you were going to pitch this site to somebody, if you're going to talk about Ripavilla, which we're in, we're in the house right now, which is why the audio might sound a little bit different than normal, but if you were going to talk about this site, how would you describe it to somebody who had never heard of it before? I guess the first thing to, I guess the first thing that I would say to someone is visiting Ripavilla would be the most important visit one could make to understand why there was a Battle of Franklin. Because everything that unfolds around the house and doesn't unfold is exactly um, what leads to the bloodshed the next day. Do you remember the first time you visited? I do, because the site was closed. Um, it was it was 96 or 97, something like that. Um, and it was undergoing a you know pretty significant renovation, restoration. But yeah, I, I remember so wanting to get inside because I, I had a sense that so many of the mysteries about Spring Hill were somewhere within the confines of the house or around it. But yeah, the, the second time I came back to Tennessee, it was open. And what was it like? What was it like then? Honestly, I don't really remember much of... What I saw, I mean, I, you know, there was, I'm sure I took a tour and there was, um, you know, there were, there were probably some furniture furnishings in the house, but it was, for me, it was being in the place where on the morning of November 30th, 1864, John Bell Hood, the Confederate commander of the army of Tennessee had, had come to grips with the fact that the, uh, U S army, the enemy army had escaped. So it was just kind of being in that place where important things began to unfold because that morning hood hood makes the decision to you know having uh, having had to accept that the US army had gotten away he had to make a decision about what he was going to do next and he chooses to pursue so th- that that's really what i remember so when you first visited back in the late 90s you were here investigating the battle story primarily yeah when i i I'd, I'd started writing uh, my first book and I, I guess I started writing really about the army and I kind of dabbled around in Franklin, but it didn't take me, well, I was going to say it didn't take me long, but it probably took me about a year or two to, to realize that I was starting in the wrong place and I had to start at Spring Hill because I had to understand why Hood did what he did on November 30th. And for me personally, I, I had to understand what happened the day before. So that, that's what drew me here. And I mean, it drew me not just to rip a villa, it drew me to the battlefield, adjacent to it and you know a mile away from it and it drew me to the ground southeast of here where oaklawn stands you know that's where hood's headquarters was on the on the night of the battle so it was uh i i was trying to unravel what i felt was this kind of opaque um muddied kind of mess of interpretation and and i just kept coming back and if we fast forward just a little bit, so you release your first book for Cause and for Country 
And then eventually you come to kind of tell this story on a regular basis. When uh, Take us back to when the Battle of Franklin Trust was first formed. Um, when was that? And when were you first uh, placed as CEO? So the trust was created in the um, late summer, early fall of 2009. Um, the trust took over active operations of both Carnton and Carter House on November 1st, 09. I had been working at Carnton for several years prior to that, so um, I, you know, was there during the creation of things and the, you know, those first days and weeks, and then I became a CEO. I guess it was about two years later, 2011. So that's in those first years. Obviously, we were managing those two sites, Carter House and Carnton. But do you know when it first crossed your mind that it would be it would be fitting to fold this third site into the story before I moved to Tennessee? Really? I mean, I thought it was as a tourist, as someone who was, I, I would say that I wasn't just a casual tourist. I was someone who was very interested, but invested in this story because it had so been lost. I mean, goodness gracious, Ripa Villa didn't open to the public until the 90s. Carter House hadn't been open until the 50s and Carnton hadn't opened until the 70s. So these were all very modern historic sites, if you will. And I remember as a tourist going to Carter House and Carnton and getting really two completely different stories. And then if you went to Ripa Villa, I mean, it was it was like you were you were getting you were getting some consistency, but there was a lot of there was a lot of inconsistency. There was inconsistency in, in what was the cause of the war. There was inconsistency in how John Bell Hood was treated. There was Virtually one thing that was really consistent, it was a very little talk of what the U.S. troops did. I mean, they were almost like a secondary piece of this. And so, yeah, it was uh, I guess I always thought they should be together because they were always part of one you know, bigger story. So you've had the thought for for decades that we have three sites that should be working together to tell the same story. But for many years, just kind of part of being managed by separate organizations had been telling the story in different ways. Yeah, you know, that's how that's how it played out. I mean, three different groups really saved the three homes and at different times. So I understood why, you know, things were how they were in 2000 and even in 2005 when I first moved here. But I was always I always thought that there was something greater to be told through um, common interpretation and, and, and guests pick up pretty easily on on. On as I said, inconsistencies they they pick up pretty quickly on. Well, I heard this at this site, but then I heard something else at the other one, and I think that's actually damaging to the sites and damaging to the visitor experience. You know, if you go to Gettysburg, you don't get a different story on Little Round Top and Culp's Hill, and you don't get a different story about the first of July versus the second of July. I mean, it's there's consistent interpretation. How long was it before you started to feel like? being able to fold Ripa Villa in uh, was like actually an attainable goal. Do you remember when that first came up? Uh, you know, there was when Ripa Villa Inc., the nonprofit that managed the site for many years, opted to donate the house and the 98 acres to the city of Spring Hill. I was part of a group that was involved in that process. And, you know, there was a moment when I thought, you know, maybe this is the time. 
But at that time, I was this, already the CEO of the Battle of Franklin Trust. And so it, it really wasn't, I didn't think it was appropriate for me. I'd had to recuse myself to really kind of push that issue. And Ripavilla Inc. had kind of reinvented itself and they kind of took the reins from there. But, you know, ultimately, the, the opportunity that I saw was January of 2021 um, when the city decided that they were going to move in a different direction. And then it just happened very quickly because we were the only group that filed um, filed a proposal to the city's requ- RFP request. I, I, yeah, I remember that. I remember earlier this year, it was, you know, this could be happening in a few months. And then it was like, this could be happening in two weeks. And then like, this is happening tomorrow. <laughs> I think that there were people in Franklin who had always believed that Carter House and Carnton should probably, if not work together, be under one banner. That that had been kicked around for many years. And then when it happened, it tends to happen pretty quickly. And that's what happened here. So we took over operations May 24th, 2021. So really in five months, we went from managing two sites to now not only managing a third, but reopening it to the public um, and 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 creating an entirely or mostly different interpretive philosophy about the site, which wasn't to run it just as its own separate thing, you know, somewhat connected to Franklin, but really drilling down on on the Battle of Spring Hill, and that that's the that's the the really key piece. And we started giving tours almost immediately. I mean, you might be able to hear in the background right now. There's people walking around, visitors to the site walking around as we speak. Right. Um, we gave tours the first day, May 24th. It was a Monday. So what have, other than just being open and giving tours, what have we accomplished at the site since taking over? Uh, you know, I, I think really what we have done is gotten the interpretation. And this is, you know, we're only a few months into this, but grounded it in three particular areas. The pre-war era, which of course is, you know, so much about the chairs family, but the enslaved story, the politics of slavery and the path to war. So the pre-war era, the Battle of Spring Hill, and then the post-war era. And and that's it seems so incredibly simple, but that's it. And you know, there's there's probably four or five different layers to each of those periods, but that's you have 60 minutes with a guest. You know, it's, it's not like you can go through a, uh, the time it takes to read a 500-page book or somebody's 100-page dissertation or study some you know, primary sources. You have 60 minutes to try and describe to people the place that they're at and why it's important. And I think maybe that's the overarching thing that we have done, which is to explain to people other than the obvious is that Ripa Villa is important and not because it's just an old house that's pretty, but because incredible things happened here, both before, during, and after the American Civil War. What about uh, restoration projects? Anything that you'd like to get into there? That'll be um, a long list, and it will take us years and years. When we took over management, the house was empty. Um, all the furniture had been removed, which in some ways was a bit of a blessing because it allowed us to begin to reconsider what the house should be and also to do work on the structure itself, which had long been ignored or never really considered. So we we got after simple things like, um, I guess simple is probably not the right word, but the, but the easiest thing to, to try and repair were things like water damage and, you know, 
painting and repainting and glazing of windows. But one of the really coolest things we did was we found the old pocket or sliding doors in between what were once the parlors of the home. You know, for years, one of those rooms had been interpreted as a dining room, but it was it's not a dining room. It was a parlor. And so we found the old doors, which confirmed, you know, the best evidence right there is that they were the parlors because we had a we had an account that talked about those doors. So we'll be working for years. We've already moved some some furniture into the home because we have um, some furniture in the Battle of Franklin Trust collection that we don't use at Carter House or Carnton. We'll also acquire furniture. We've put up some interpretive elements in the house. So I think at a minimum, it's a three to five year project to get to where we want to be from an aesthetic or visual perspective. And then it's another decade recrafting, redrafting, adding to, subtracting from interpretation. And interpretation is always changing. I mean, things have changed at Carter House and Carnton in the last 10 years. They'll continue to change at Ripavilla. Things have changed pretty dramatically. Even in the six years that I've been here, I've, I've seen it happen. Um, where do you see all this going? And if you can forecast five years, 10 years into the future, do you have a plan or do you see just we're going to take every opportunity that arises? Both. Um, we have to be opportunistic. I mean, you take advantage of, of every opportunity you have to promote the story, to tell people why it's important, to tell people why it matters. But where it's going, I think, is to a, is to a more rounded, more balanced better place. I think for the first time, maybe since the 10 or 20 years after the war, is that the United States collectively is looking at the causes of the war, the war itself and the aftershocks in a, in a more in a more honest way. You know, we have we have dealt with the effects of the lost cause um for over a century. We have dealt with the effects of Jim Crow. We have dealt with the effects of historic sites being lost or mismanaged or 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 you know poorly interpreted. And I think that where we're going is a better place in many ways than where we've been. I can't speak for other communities, but we have over a hundred thousand visitors. And we we've run about twenty one or twenty two hundred people through Ripavilla in in just a few months and have barely had any furniture and we've been working inside the house. So I think there's a desire among a wide group of people, both young and old, for this more honest, earthy assessment. I think the time for like romantic interpretations of the war, the kind of moonlight magnolias, as I often say, view of things, that's, it's, it'll always be there to some degree, but it's dying. And that's good because nothing between 1861 and 65 Nothing significant was was Moonlight Magnolias. This was violence that people today can't even really begin to understand. So it's our job to get them to understand. And it's also probably the best element of change is that this um, often twisted logic about the cause of the war being anything but the obvious, which was slavery, is also slowly dying. This, this was a war driven by the politics of slavery and the secession of Southern states. And, you know, even people like Nat Chairs at Ripavilla, I think would be befuddled by some of the nonsensical arguments that are made today. So I think we're going back to just a, a much more historically balanced and appropriate interpretation. And that's happening all over, not just at private sites like ours, but national park sites. It's happening at presidential sites. It's happening at 
you know, locations where the civil rights story is being told. It's happening all over the country. And I, in my opinion, I think that's actually what makes the site work with very little furnishings in it. Because I, sometimes when people go to a historic home, they might be expecting to talk about furnishings and decorations and, and restoration. But I think what they get here is, is so much more than that. And so I think even if somebody is a little shocked when they first walk in, like, well, it's odd to see an empty house. But when they go away, having heard the story, having heard the historic relevance of everything, I don't think people leave unsatisfied or feeling like they didn't that they didn't get their money's worth by coming here because we're talking about so much more context. I think the vast majority of people do leave satisfied or at least challenged to think differently. You know, certain people don't like change. That that just comes with the territory. Some people don't like the changing interpretation. Some people don't. They some people expect old homes to be nothing but furniture museums and architectural museums and and that's part of it but that really um it really in many ways is not at all who the families who lived in them were they didn't Hmm. they didn't their world didn't revolve around furniture and decor their their lives like at ripa villa revolved around living day to day um the lives of the people who lived in the home are also not the only lives we discuss but their lives were impacted by a civil war their lives were impacted by the Ku Klux Klan. There's not much romantic about that. And it's time, if you go to Pearl Harbor, if you go to now 20 years later, any of the 9-11 memorials, they're very somber places. That's ultimately what I think Civil War sites and sites like Ripa Villa, whether you want to call it a farm or a plantation, where slavery existed, I think I think we're at a point where there, there has long been missing the appropriate kind of reflection about what a place like this means in American history. That's what we plan to do. And I think that's what we've we've tried to do very effectively at the with all of our interpretation is that we're not about we're not about erasing, we're not about revering, we're just about remembering. That's right. And and interpreting and and being honest and you know, we see we hear a lot of we hear a lot of things. We hear a lot of good questions. I think one of the things that unfolds seven days a week at all three sites that we manage are honest questions about why. What about Confederate monuments? What about slavery? What about the war? What about the Confederacy? What about the future? These are all good things that are being discussed, and that's I think that's I think that's healthy, and I think that increases people's knowledge and understanding and in the long run it increases their interest because you're 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 giving people something that has substance to it it's not just sugary sweet makes you feel good it it makes you think so what is your uh, in conclusion what is your final pitch like why why should i come here why should i come visit rupa villa what's what's the point of it uh the period of 1861 and 1865 is in many period in our history. But it is also the period in which the country was forever redefined. Slavery was ended via a war and constitutional amendment. And the country was redefined to the promise of equality, which was put to its greatest test between 61 and 65. There's no other place in the country that you can visit where you can come to grips with that reality. And and also, in today's world where we often hear about how we've never been more divided, it's good to sometimes see the context that we've been far more divided. What we endure today for the most part is is infinitely less violent, 
and controversial than what was occurring, not just between 61 and 65, but even in the five or six or seven years leading up to the war. It was it was incendiary almost on a daily basis in the newspapers, in the halls of Congress, and then it led to a civil war. So I think it's a it's a it's a good place for people to take a breath, reflect on the past, and also then reassess the present time and what the future is. So it's a big long pitch, but you have to come out and see it. You have to come out and feel it to understand its relevance or its importance. If you would like to visit Ripa Villa, go to our website, which is boft.org slash visit, and you can plan your trip. We sell a ticket called the Tennessee Campaign Ticket for $40 that gets one adult into all three historic homes that we operate. Follow us on Instagram at 10 and 20 podcast, T-E-N-N-I-N-2-0 podcast. Make sure to subscribe and leave a review on whatever podcast app you're choosing. Uh, and also follow the Battle of Franklin Trust on YouTube. We've got a lot of great videos. Some deal with the topics that we're talking here today. Thanks to Eric for joining me. And thank you so much for listening.